You're listening to Let's Go to the Phones on 92.9 FM, The Sack, the seventh most popular sports talk station in Philadelphia. If the season wasn't over before Monday night, it certainly is over right now. Yes, it is I, Uncle Coggin, joining you for another another uh, depressing episode of Let's Go to the Phones on 92.9 FM The Sack. Uh, I guess the Eagles news is depressing, but at the end of the show, we will have a fantastic interview with one of the biggest guests we've ever had in the show. Uh, we did an interview with um, Mark Zumov, uh, obviously the uh, former 76ers play-by-play announcer. Um, we're going to have that at the end of the show. We did a pre-record with him, uh, and I guess uh, I guess I guess we have to uh, eat our vegetables before we have our dessert here, and we have to talk about what went what happened this week on Monday Night Football. To help me get through this, I am joined as always by the effervescent co-host, co-host Chris. The punctilious producer, producer Pat. Boys, how are we feeling today? Pretty shitty. <laughs> Pretty horrible. How do you, how would you not uh feel anything but horrible after that drack we had to watch last night? Chris, you know what I say? What? Don't uh don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Hmm. That's what I say, Chris. Because the season is over, right? It's not. <laughs> It's really not. They clinched it. They clinched a playoff spot. Yeah. But the season's over. It's over. Right? It's done. You never know. Yeah, Once you get know. in the playoffs, you, you never, never know. know. They, could, they could just click all of a sudden. Yep. They couldn't stop Drew Locke from going on a 92-yard <laughs> game-sealing touchdown well, to beat this piece of shit team. It's a new, a new play caller. He's got to get adjusted to his guys. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Takes yeah. a couple weeks for that to work out. But mm-hmm. by playoffs, they'll be clicking mm-hmm. on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. This isn't... Um... This isn't like every uh, sports movie ever made where they're like, we're going to try something new. This is the NFL where you can't really change your defensive, uh, everything that you do on defense, your your entire defensive strategy in week 14. It's just not going to work. And especially when you don't have the horses to do the incredibly simplistic defensive scheme that Desai was having them do all year. I I I am I'm just I'm so depressed by all of this. It's just like but I mean that was it. They they just showed you last night what they are. There's no get yeah. right game that's going to get them right. I I don't even think they're not I don't think they're going to sweep these last 3 games. No. No. Right? I don't think um, so either. I think they will. I can see the Cardinals beating them. No. I can see Tommy DeVito no. taking one of two. Yeah, no. me too. No, no, me too. no, no, no. I don't see that happening. They always struggle against Arizona. No matter how, like we said yeah, last night, DNA. like we said the last week, they always struggle against Seattle. They haven't beaten Seattle in 15 years. And sure enough, we lose to Seattle again. They Favored by five and a half points, and we lose outright three to Drew half. Locke. It, it jumped right. to five and a half when um, Drew Locke was announced. Like, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. I'm seeing four and a half. Final. Jumped to five and a half. Um, ESPN says four and a half final. ESPN um, doesn't know what they're doing. But I agree with you. I mean, it was like the defense, 
played fine for three quarters. They played yeah. fine up until that up until that drive. I guess that was it. I, I guess, yeah. They still gave up twenty points to Seattle, who is not a no, great offensive I, I agree team with and you, a backup quarterback. But I agree with you. Yeah. But it would have been thirteen if it weren't for that drive. Yeah, but I mean, you can't say that if it weren't for that drive, <laughs> the most important drive of the game. If it weren't for the drive, uh, the the long that was the longest touchdown drive Seattle has had all season long. Yeah, ninety two yards. Disgusting. By Drew Locke. Once they got the ball back after that. When they got the ball back, I was like, "We're fucked." Yeah. I was like, res- I was completely resigned to it. Like, whatever happens, happens. And then it was just the deep ball to Metcalf, the deep ball to Lockett. Good night, both on Bradbury. Uh, just horrible. I was thinking about this today, and coming into the season, there were a lot of question marks on defense, and we were, you know, we were talking about it as we were wont to do, and. It's like, look, there are so many question marks, but like, surely we'll get like a surprise or two. Like, this one section won't be as bad as we're thinking it's going to be. That is not the case. Every single question mark they've had, which is defensive line depth, your linebacking core, your safeties, will the corners take a step back? Every single one of those question marks turned against the Eagles. They have no depth on the line. They have outside of Sweat and Reddick, you're not really getting a whole lot on the line. The mm-hmm. linebackers have been complete garbage all year. Nicobe Dean is a bust. He can't stay on the field. Even when he was on the field, he wasn't that great. The safeties have been so bad. Letting CJ GJ go has turned out to be a horrible move. Yep. And then the corners that got all this money they have both taken two huge steps back. Yeah. So it's like every single question mark on this defense. We didn't get one. Like, we're not talking about anything. Like, oh, so and so was like really surprised us. The whole defense has been shit. No, no. There's someone who, who? Reed Blankenship. He's been bad the last like <laughs> eight sucks. games. Sucks. But they all. I mean, that's like the one Pro thing Bowl. they always talk about on the thing on the broadcast. Yes. Yeah. Just like everything that could have gone wrong on the defense has gone wrong. Yeah, I agree. every step of the way, Shaq Leonard's done nothing. He's, he looks Shaq, horrible. He, he looks, looks terrible. He looks dead. Sidney Brown is supposed to be this like Oof. energetic rookie. I, I mean, look, he's a rookie, but like his big thing was like he can tackle real well. He lays big hits. He's energetic. He can't tackle for shit. Yeah, horrible. Yeah, he had a big miss tackle. Game. He, he had a, had a bunch week. of missed. He tackles. was really bad. It's just like everything. It was so depressing just watching this team, and like whatever the the whole. We'll get into the design, the Patricia stuff because that's embarrassing. That's fundamentally embarrassing, as it is. But it's just like the defense has been so bad. The line has not been good. They didn't get pressure on Drew Locke. I think they got their first sack at late in the third quarter, yeah. and then they couldn't get any pressure. To, to lose, basically. And it's not all on the defense. Not basically to lose. Yeah, I mean, that was... it is to lose. You're right. It is to lose. But not all on the defense because, you know, the offense is going, you know, the offense has been terrible the last three games, too. 
It, the whole team is I not argue, fun to watch. I would argue that the offense was worse in these last three games. Well, I guess that's not true. <sighs> offense was worse it was yesterday. Wor- I'd I say it was. Say. I agree with you on that. It was the offense was so bad yesterday. Uh I don't know. I feel you like think um, Hurts should have played. Yeah, whenever if Hurts can play, you paid him all this money. If he can play, yeah, he had to play. Got to let him play. You're not going to Mariota is not going to give you anything in this. I still would like to know what was wrong with him. COVID. He COVID. He yeah. had COVID. 100% is that official? No, but they won't. He had flu-like symptoms, but he didn't have the but flu he and he didn't have flu. a cold. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So it's like, all right, what else does he have? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he had COVID. Hmm. And that's fine. COVID but like, brain. Yeah, exactly. The COVID fog. But it's just like so much blame goes to him. He played terribly. The the offensive play calling again so has just bad. been like stupefying. It's, just, it's been horrible. Even I don't on the understand first, it. we t- I tweeted it out after the first drive, which they scored a touchdown on. Whatever, the first drive play script was fucking awful. Mm-hmm. Like it was mm-hmm. these horrible screens, yep. and then the rest of them were just like QB draws, mm-hmm. dumb shit like that. And it's finally like that's what got them in. It's like a, a rollout by Hertz gets them in. Mm-hmm, it's just like there mm-hmm. was no the the ball moved, but they didn't show us anything new. It was the no. same shit, same crappy play calls, same like just like head scratching. Like, what are mm-hmm. you doing? I don't understand what these these every all the pull like so many of these screens behind that were thrown behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, why are you doing that? They don't work. Brian, yeah, Brian Johnson has been an abject disaster. Um, if if they didn't have Basically, pro bowlers at almost every single position right. on offense. This team would have fired. He would have been exposed by like week five, and this team would have fired. He would have been gone. He's so lucky that he basically has like he's driving a Cadillac like he's a first year driver. He 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 avoided what? a crash. He avoided a crash <laughs> for the first couple weeks, and now everything caught up to him. And he has totaled the car, and for whatever reason, they're keeping him around. Hmm. I, it's just, it, it's so frustrating to just see, just that he has no situational awareness for any t- anything outside of the first fifteen plays that they script. He has no awareness of what is going on in a game. It, right. it's, it's befuddling to me, and I don't get it. I don't get how he's. Calling the plays? Is he even calling the plays? I don't know. Yeah, he is. He is, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Or Sirianni. I don't know. No, it's he him. Is. Sirianni is not. But to point, you know, just, just to point to what the microcosm of this season is, when they're up 17-10, it's the fourth quarter. The, um, they are driving the ball really well mm-hmm. with passes across the middle. They get 40 yards basically on – Quick, a quick slant to Brown gets like twelve. I think uh, uh, Goddard sit, sat down in like a soft part of the zone. They got like another twelve. Then um, Swift had a long run, uh, and then so they're they're over midfield, mm-hmm. first and ten. Yeah, what you, you're you need to take time off the clock. Like yeah. you need a big long what, drive. Four minutes left at that point. No, there were like, there go, were like yeah, seven or six. This is this sure? is the, this is. I don't think yes. got it down to around. No, pretty low. No, this was like seven or six still, and 
you, first and ten, just you're you're ripping off long runs with yep. Swift. The yep. offensive line is just killing the Seahawks all game. And it's like, why are you calling a deep ball? To Quez Watkins on first and ten in that spot, like I get that, like maybe that's Hurts making that read, but why you call? Why is that even an option for Hurts? Right. Why are you not calling a run right. there? It, it makes no like okay, you score, and then the way your defense is playing, they haven't been great. You're just putting them right back out on the field, and Seattle can you know do whatever. They could score again, and then you're in the same position. You milk the fucking clock. You have the you know you saw what happened last year where you had these amazing end of game drives that could take like eight seven minutes off the clock and Coggin this yeah. happened you're right the uh, yeah. it happened eight fifteen left yeah yeah you, you're you're just trying you need points to at least make it a two possession game and you're trying to take off as much of the clock as you can there's no point. To calling a deep, you haven't hit on a deep pass to Quez Watkins since last year, right? Right? I he, they right. haven't hit anything this year to Quez Watkins. Well, and then what are you doing there? I know it literally is nonsensical. And, and you were right; like that was where uh, Swift had the had the really good run where yeah. he slid. Yeah, that might have been the next of drive. Because uh, the next because they, they, yeah. they the Seahawks then went three and out. Yep. Uh, we got the ball back with like yep. six minutes left. That's what I was thinking mm-hmm. of. They run it yeah. a bunch. Yeah. I'm looking at the, the play-by-play right now. Mm-hmm. Run, 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 yeah. run. Swift for 11 yards. Swift for three yards. Swift, mm-hmm. nothing. Yep. Hurts incomplete to Goddard. And and this is the, the final three. Shotgun to D-Swift. Shotgun to D-Swift. Shotgun to D-Swift. Shotgun incomplete to Goddard. Braden man punt. <laughs> And that, you know, Brian Baldinger did a great breakdown of that play, Chris, that last play, where for some reason, Hertz breaks from the pocket and runs to his right. Mm -hmm. And Baldinger shows, like, you can really see it on TV, but it's a perfect pocket. He didn't have to, he, he didn't have to leave the pocket. It's protected. It was perfect for him to just step up. And keep looking both sides of the field. Instead, Balding is like, he just breaks it for no reason, runs to his right, cuts off half the field, then does that thing where he tried to run all the way back. He's like, if you stayed in the pocket, you're going to get, you're going to have more options for these stupid, long developing plays that they love to run for whatever reason. And he just decided to just leave, just leave the pocket, whatever. It's just the whole. Hurt has he's frustrating the last couple of games. Do you, Do you guys agree with that? I very agree much agree with that. that. Yeah, I have a theory. Oh, yes. What's your theory? It's not really a theory. It's just, I think, what's exactly happened to him. Mm-hmm. I think he has regressed because of Brian Johnson. Like, we were kind of talking about it with my friends. Like, they, I feel like Hurts feels like he needs to bail out these bad play calls where it's either they're just putting the ball in his hands. It's like, okay, just run, just do a draw. Uh-huh. Or it's like these, like you said, these long ass developing plays that never work, and he has to like play. I think that he feels like he needs to play hero ball mm-hmm. entirely and no longer trust the offensive calls. Yeah, but or isn't Brian anything. Johnson? Isn't Brian Johnson like its boy? It's yeah, supposed like to be. But it's... Problem. That's the problem. I think. Yeah, but it's not working. He 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 knows. 
better than anyone that it's not working. Right. Yeah. He should. So that's what I mean. I, that's why I think he's he's now in that mode of like, fuck it. I need to just bail on the pocket and mm. do something with my legs or do whatever I can because none of these plays are working. Mm. And it's like, I, I don't know. And it's like those those big hit. They're trying to make those big hitter plays for some reason when they don't need to. Yeah. I, it makes no sense. And it's like, again, I feel like he feels like he needs to bail out the offense just by himself. I, I feel like every pass play is either thrown behind or at the line of scrimmage or like a yard before mm-hmm. the line of scrimmage or 30 yards downfield. There's like no, right. <laughs> there's no intermediate. Like, and then the plays that kill me are the ones they'll have like maybe one a game or like two a game where AJ Brown's just going on a slant and you hit it every time yeah, going over the middle and yeah, he gets like, like 13 yards. yards. Yeah. 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 Right. It's like you're, you're 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 taking everything by throwing these long ass plays down the sideline to Brown. One, you're not hitting on his ability for any type of run after the catch, and you know you're, you're, they're very low percentage plays where you're just throwing it up in the air to Brown. They're not Hurts is overthrowing them all the time too. Overthrowing or underthrowing? Yeah. There's no middle with Hurts right now. A lot of those balls he underthrew. He underthrew the one to Quez Watkins. He he overthrew one to Brown Pat. Like you're yep. you're right on that. Well, yeah, that's the it's thing just... too. He, he can never get into a rhythm. The offense has no. literally no rhythm. Is what it is. It's like because yeah, it's either yeah. it's yeah. either like a play action. They do that play action tight mm-hmm. end screen yep. to yep. Goddard all the yep. time, mm-hmm. or they do those stupid ass bubble screens yep. Yep. that never fucking work. And they mm-hmm. have like the one they had. Um, I think Devontae Smith was blocking on one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he got like, he almost got like hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing that every of those, e- those easy throws that he had last year that were like right. five or six yards over the middle, like all creativity seemed to have gone out the window Steichen. when Shane Steichen left. Yep. Right. And I don't know if it's Sirianni just being like, we're smarter than everybody else, and this is what we're going to do. Like, we're going to be ultra-aggressive at all times, and maybe he doesn't have, like, a Steichen that's like, look, we can be, but it's got to be, we got to have to pick and choose the right moments to do this. Like, right. yeah, let's be aggressive, but, like, maybe throw, maybe calling a, a, a deep bomb on a first and ten when all we need is three points to make it a two-possession game is the right move. Right. You know, or isn't the right move. Instead of, you know, we should be milking the clock, we should be throwing these little intermediate routes across the middle. It just makes no sense. Yeah. They run the same three plates. Right. Yep. Deep throw, deep throw to Brown. Um, maybe like uh, Devontae, Devontae Smith runs an up and out for 12 yards, or they have a wide receiver screen or a, a tight end screen to Goddard. That's it. Right. That's it. You yep. might hit Goddard on like a throw over the middle. Yeah. Usually doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, that's did, their did issue. Did you guys is... see that thing? Sorry, Chris. Did you Go see ahead. that thing? Uh, Christian McCaffrey was on the Manning cast. Yeah. Yeah. And he like was like this. He called the play like immediately before it happened. <laughs> yeah. And he is an offensive player. Like. <sighs> apparently, it's not <laughs> like apparently that's not like super rare when a player like you can apparently players can tell that stuff but it's like yeah even with the eagles even with the eagles i mean i think the eagles probably can do it a little bit more so they run the same 
three fucking packages. Well, that's the problem, though. Game. If players know, yeah, I mean, then you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And defensive players are going to know better than offensive players, and especially after they've watched tape of the same fucking plays over and over. Yeah, they're going to know. Well, that's no the creativity. Issue. Their big <laughs> issue now too is like last year, they also didn't have too much creativity. I read something about that. Their mm-hmm. Steichen also did kind of the same thing, but he was able to like call the right play in the right situation. Like last year, yeah. they were so good at end of games taking mm-hmm. like eight minutes off the clock. Yeah, with these runs and like we arguably should have a better like we have a better running back right now with Swift than we did with Sanders, and you see it. You saw it on those drives right before the big interceptions. Like mm-hmm. he's getting five yards to carry, and then it's like okay, let's just it's like. It was compared to playing Madden, but it's like you're playing Madden. You're like, okay, I've ran it too many times in a row. Like, let me throw it deep. Yeah. Catch him off guard or something. And it's like, it never works. But you're just like, oh, like, it's almost like they have to, like, like try and mix it up to try something new. And it's like, just do what's working. Yeah. You see it working. It, every play does not have to be a Madden go streak call. Right. Exactly. A go route, you All know? streaks. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You don't have to have that. Every just take the yards, and I don't know if that's Sirianni being ultra confident or too aggressive, you know. And like these coordinators don't have the balls to be like, we shouldn't do that right now. Yeah. You know, does Brian Johnson have the 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 moral fiber to be like, we should not be calling this right now? Like you're excitable, you're excited, you want to put these guys out. But like this is this has so much more risk than reward at this point, right? That's I, I don't think love, it does. I would love to know exactly like who, because obviously Sirianni has a big hand in the offense. Like it's not yeah. just like Brian Johnson in the in his room like drawing up plays by himself and like he, yeah, you know. So it is probably like Sirianni's scheme. And then yeah, you're right. Like I don't know. It'd be super interesting to find out like what what strings are being pulled in the mm-hmm. background or like what, or is Sirianni just like, <clears throat> I wonder if he's just playing the game. Like, you know, he has full control right now. Yeah. To, to kind of throw him on the bus eventually and be like, okay, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to like how coaches always do that. Like, all right, I'm going to call the plays from now on. Yeah. You think Maybe. Lori has the, uh, the Al Davis phone, throw it deep, <laughs> call it down. I think Lori doesn't have to meddle until he has to meddle. And right. then when Lori's meddling, you know you're not going to be around much longer. I think it's going to start happening. I think so too. I, I mean, think Lori, Lori I, and I Howie, think he, they definitely did something with defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think that was Sirianni. No way. No, I'm saying Lori and Howie ain't going nowhere. No, Sirianni. Uh, you don't. You know, I, I we should talk about that. What do you guys think happened? I have a theory on this, and I put this out on Twitter. But what do you guys think happened with the whole Matt Patricia? Uh, Sean Desai thing. Well, you heard all the stories, like, and I, I guess you don't know the the order of it all, but you heard all the stories where, like, the secondary is like, oh, we're going to scout them yeah. ourselves. It's yeah. Like, we don't, we want to see what we can do, whatever. Those came out, and then the 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 switch came out. It's like, I don't know if, like, they mm-hmm. got wind of that, and they're like, all right, like, we can't do this. If You've clearly lost the locker room yeah. with these guys, and it's like, let's bring in someone else, which I hate Matt Patricia. I think he sucks. I always yeah. thought he. I thought he sucked in New England too. I never I thought agree. he was very good. It was always overrated. Um, but it's like, 
I think that that's probably what it is. Is they did mm-hmm. step in and they're like, you need to do something here. Who's I hope in? I hope that they do it. I think Laurie or Howie stepped in. I think Laurie did too. Right. I think Laurie did. Yep. You have to do something. It's yeah. just not a move that a ten and three team ever makes. Mm-mm. Which is like Well, no. Jesus Christ. The, uh, what do you mean no? The twenty twelve Ravens that won the Super Bowl did something very similar. Mm. Did they? Yeah. Okay. All right. So this was my theory with what happened. Like I think I think you guys are correct that someone behind the scenes is like we have to make a change. We have to make a change, but I don't think, I don't think they may. I don't think they meant it to go get out the day before. Like yeah. I think the plan was to go into that game, not keep it quiet, and then either tell the broadcast prior to the game or while the game's going on, like, hey, Matt Patricia is down on the field. He's the one calling the plays. Mm-hmm. Sean Desai is the one up in the booth. He helped devise the game plan. Right. He's coordinating from the booth, but Patricia's calling the plays. I think they wanted it to go down that way because I think, one, they thought they were going to beat Seattle. Two, hmm. they after the game, they'd be like, see, like we did, we, made, knew, we knew something had to happen. We made this change. It worked out for the better, or it worked out for the best. We're doing what's doing what's right for the team. I think somebody got wind of it on Sunday and broke it. Um, Glazer. I don't, you know, yeah, Glazer. Uh, but like I, you know, people that I talk to, like you know, a couple of the uh, 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 reporters at like the, the Crossing Broad, in the know guys, were like, oh, the 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 Eagles would never allow that to happen they they have their thumb whenever anything gets out to the public like that like they have their thumbprint on it they're the ones that probably fed that to glazer yeah i don't think that's true mm. i don't think the eagles wanted it to get out the day before the game yeah yes, right and I it agree. broke at like 11 o'clock or like noon on sunday you have so many live pregame shows at that moment, like it's not a dead time. Like if they wanted that to get out, they potentially could have done it, you know, maybe Sunday night, like even like Saturday morning, like some some you're not a time when there's so much live programming on and so many people are on Twitter. So many people are on their phones, checking their bets, checking their fantasy stuff. Who's going to play like I don't think they leaked it to the media. I think it got out and I think. Hundred percent think they were trying to wait until after the game to be like, yeah, see what happened. We ch- we switched it all around. It worked out great. Didn't happen that way, and now they look like a fucking mess. Yeah, I think uh, I bet something will happen. Something has to happen this week with the offense. You Maybe AJ Brown yeah. tweeting shit. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, just it all looks so bad. All the social media shit that they've been doing. It just it all comes down to Sirianni too. Like what? How? Like what kind of a locker room are you running? I feel like that's not yeah. very. I mean, I would say not very Eagles like, but it definitely is because of the whole Wentz shit. But I don't know. It just well, seems like they're they're usually better about like. But that's true. Shit Chris. More under wraps. That's true. That they love to be like. Right. We are this like highly functioning organization. Right. We're like the one of the better run thing, and then like. Right. To make this decision, something crazy had to go down with the side. Where they, I'm sure they're like, we don't want to fire you. We want to save face this way. We're gonna put you up in the booth, 
and like let's all keep it quiet and then mm -hmm. Desai or his agent was like I don't, I don't know maybe we're just gonna leak this out to the media or whatever you know I, something went down right where somebody got pissed off something got leaked it got out before they wanted to get out I don't know that's my big conspiracy theory on the whole thing and I, I would not be surprised if something happened with the offense too also nope. I wanted another <laughs> conspiracy has to yeah I another mean, thing has to happen no, I mean, nothing happens. Right. It's uh, do you, at, at this point yeah, sorry something sorry something has to fucking happen. Uh, yeah, like when when you have players and and then what do you, what do you guys think about Hertz's comments after the game about like commitment? Uh, oh, it's bad look. Didn't like I, that I, either. I hate that I I caught myself doing the same shit that I did doing that I'm doing the stuff that I'm doing with Hertz that I did with Wentz. Mm -hmm. The same type of defense that, like, I'm like, oh, that was a like, oh, how he that was a great throw, like making excuses for him when there are a lot of red flags flying right now. I don't think he's going to be hurt or, or went, excuse me. I don't think like, oh, you should sit him, but like something has to start trending different for Hurts right now because, like you said, Pat, those comments where he's like, not everyone's fully committed. It's like, yeah, all right, you're playing like shit, dude. Yeah. You have 17 turnovers. You're making terrible reads and terrible throws in crucial parts of the game. Like, ah, I don't know. I, I think the real Jalen Hurts lies somewhere in between what we're seeing now and what we saw last year. Who's the top three quarterback? In the I league. think they just, I think they just designed the worst possible offense for him. I, I like, think you're I, right, Chris. I, yeah. I think they did everything wrong when, when like they, they took like the shit that was like, yeah, like they took the shit that opened up because of the other things that they did last year. And like, let's base our entire yeah. offense around this. Yeah, like yeah. where this shit worked last year because you were doing so much other <sighs> stuff, like getting him in rhythm, mm -hmm. and like they just cut all that shit out. It's like, why are we doing these short passes when he's hitting all these long passes? Like, mm -hmm. let's just do that, and then let's just have him run. Like, I, like the the QB draws, I'm so fucking sick of. Like the the design QB draw just drives me fucking nuts. Yeah. And especially the Swift. And Pat, Pat said it too. It's like he's he's sick. It's like why <laughs> yeah. would we? Yeah. Let's have him fucking run as much as possible. Yeah. Let's get him hit real early. Yeah. Like yeah. God. Really, let's really get him. Uh, yeah. Let's really get him nice and sore. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's just the whole season. Like they're not on the same level as the as the Cowboys or the mm -hmm. the Forty Niners. Mm, definitely not the Forty Niners. Cowboys. They're aren't. not on the same level as the Cowboys right now. I don't they're know. not right I don't now. Know. Not. Right now, no. They no. Just got their not even close by the Bills. They no, did. That doesn't matter. That's true. I don't think it matters all that. We much, beat be the Bills. Remember? And I we do beat the Cowboys that. one game too. Who cares? Yeah, early in the year, <laughs> and they had a lot, the Cowboys had a lot of chances to put that one away. Chalk that another chalk another one up to the Eagles uh, luck wow, in that, that stretch true. there. I don't know. It's just it's not great. It's just not great. I mean, can they win one game in the playoffs? Sure. If they're not the number one or number two seed. I, I think they could win one game in the playoffs. Uh, they're not gonna beat I don't think they're not unless something insanely drastic happens, they're not going to beat the Cowboys or the 49ers. Mm mm. They're not. They're currently uh, ESPN playoff machines projecting us as the five seed. Yeah, I mean, that would happen because they wouldn't be one of the division winners. Yeah. So we'd yeah. play what? The, the 
four seed then? Yeah, or the you three seed? Tampa, which would be fine. Yeah. You could you could beat Tampa. We you had the shit Tampa. out of Tampa. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh let's see. And then yeah, I mean if Minnesota yeah, we'd either play 49ers or Dallas. Yeah. In Dallas. In or Dallas San or in San Francisco. Yeah. Wow, great. Great. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> yeah. But then for the two seed, yeah, it's like then we could play the Rams, who are projected seven seed. I think the Rams could beat them. Yeah. No, I don't think so. <laughs> the way the Rams are playing right now? No, that's true. The Rams are playing really well right now. Oh, really God. well. But then, yeah, but then we'd probably have to play Dallas. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But we'd at least be at home. Dallas Dallas sucks on the road. That is true. Mm-hmm. They're three and four on the road, I believe. <sighs> four and four when they beat the Eagles in, in the playoffs. <laughs> in the playoffs. That's true. Um, they're fucked. I don't know. We've got a. Uh, we do have to eventually get to the interview with Morph Zumov to yeah. make this a little Just bit more of a pal- palatable episode. Should we do a quick LVL and then get to Mark Zumov because that was a lengthy interview with Mark Zumov, yeah, and it was, was a really good interview. It was very good. You want to stick Mark around, was great. folks? Got to stick around. That was great. Should we do a little LVL? Yeah, Pat. Sure, Pat, quick. Need to say to the this LVL. Will, Let's do a quick this LVL. This will bring the mood back up. I Christmas think. cheer. Yeah. Gonna set my soul on fire. Yes, it's the Las Vegas house. got a whole lot of money. It's ready to burn. Get those stakes up high. Yes, it's the Las Vegas lounge. Oh, by the way, yes. One thing, people people think that that's pre-recorded. What? My singing. No. Oh, yeah. It said, Very. No, 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 no. That is that is live. Live, live and live and alive. Anything can happen, ladies and gentlemen. That's true. And it usually does in Las Vegas. Hey, all right. Uh, yes, it is the Las Vegas Lounge in Memorial in honor of the Las Vegas Lounge. Uh, Chris, why don't you uh, please update us on the standings? We have a new uh, basement dweller. Yes. Uh, so we have. I went 0 and 2. I am now 14 and 16. Pat also 0 and 2. He he is our new basement <laughs> cretin. Uh, 12, 16 and 2. Susie 1 and 1. 17, 12 and 1. Hagen 2 and 0 last week. Ooh. 13 and 17. Yeah, Fuck the off. big winner. The Susie's big winner really last smoking. week. She she is steady Eddie over there. The All right, Hagen. Okay. All right. Um, in grand fashion, I have not looked at these. One second. Um, all right, what do I like here? What do I like Oh, boy. What'd you say? Nothing. Huh? Nothing. All right. Um, all right, I'm going to take the Dolphins, one and a half point favorites against the Cowboys in Miami. Hmm. Seems like a Vegas mistake to me. We just, said, we just said the Cowboys are not good on the road. Seems like a Vegas mistake. Sure. Going east. Uh, it's true. Um, and then I will take. I'm going to take the. Man, these are interesting games here. Mm. Man, these are. I'm gonna. You know what? Man, right, let's do a so quick bad. LVL. Yeah, I know. I, I haven't <laughs> looked. I haven't looked Golly. at any of these. Yeah. I haven't looked at any of these. <laughs> it's a tough week. Not a lot of uh, Vegas mistakes jumping out at me here. I'll take the I'll take the Colts. 
Uh, one point one. underdogs against those Falcons. Okay. Oh, I like that a lot. Damn. Falcons are dreadful. Drek. Minshew mania, baby. All right, Pat, go ahead. All right. I hate to do this. He hates it. Giants plus 11 and a half. Oh, boy. Seems like a very large line for the Eagles. Tommy right DeVito now, might sorry. not be. 11 and a half. Yeah. 11 and a half. Right. Oh, oh, what God, time? DeVito might not Eagles, play? That's right. <laughs> Didn't he get a concussion or something? 430. Yeah, I think he's all right. All right. Yeah, yeah, meatballs on... all scrambled. Christmas. <laughs> 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 they have to play a game on Christmas, of course, which is such yeah. garbage. Perfect. Um, Kept smelling burnt chicken parm in the locker room. <laughs> okay. um, who's yeah? Who's frying up that garlic? Yeah, yeah. I'll go. Saints Rams under yeah. forty five. What was it, Pat? Saints Rams under forty five and a half. <laughs> forty five and a half. Okay. Yeah, you, are, you have to talk over. All you guys are that. yucking it up. Oh, yeah, you have to talk over our hilarious ad like that here. one. Um, I am going to go Packers minus five mm. uh, at the. Panthers. Oh God, that's a mistake. <laughs> the Vegas mistake. Vegas right. mistake. No, it's not. And nope. then Packers stink. And then, and then, and then, and <laughs> they then, they suck. They suck. So they bad. suck. But the Panthers are the worst team in football. They just got well. Oh, yeah, they yeah, what? They they won nine seven against the Falcons. Yeah. Three field goals. It's a big win for them. Um, They're riding high. And then give me. Those pesky Arizona Cardinals plus four at the Bears. Okay. I don't like that one either. Well, I think that's probably good considering your record <laughs> right now. Should Susie have any picks? Yeah. Susie's on Indy plus one as well. Okay. Um, and then she's on Minnesota plus three and a half. Okay. I love that Indy pick. I wanted it. I, I was going to take Indy too. The Falcons are brutal. Yeah. That well, I might that be calling like that one of those weird games. I might be calling Falcons that a trap line. Yeah. that might be a trap line. Yeah, Vegas trap. It really baby. is because the um, Falcons are. They just came off that horrible loss. Right. That game had no juice. Yeah, it was horrible. No one was there. Yeah. It was raining. Ritter's a disaster, though. He's so bad. He's a failure. Um, all right, so that's it. Those are our picks. Coggin uh, yep. hopped off. And so enjoy the interview with Mark Zumoff and have a Merry Christmas. We're saying it again, folks. Yep. And uh, we'll also say Happy Holidays to anyone who doesn't celebrate Christmas. We love you too. What? Huh? I said, we're saying Merry Christmas again. And I said, also Happy Holidays to anyone who doesn't celebrate Christmas because we also love those listeners as well. Oh, you, you broke up there. We're very inclusive. Um, yeah, we love everyone. Yep. We love our except listeners. For the, except for the Eagles. We don't like the Eagles. Yeah. Okay. Merry Christmas, everyone. Everyone have a Merry Christmas except for Brian Johnson, uh, Sean Desai, Nick Sirianni, and Matt Patricia. Yeah, perfect. Matt, I, saw, I called Matt Patricia a fat slob yesterday, so <laughs> suck on that on Christmas Day, you fat pig. <laughs> All right. Enjoy Mark Zumoff, folks, and have a Merry Christmas. All right. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bright light city gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. 
Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn, so get those stakes up higher. There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there. They're all living the day. All right, we have a big, big guest on the show today, someone we've wanted to talk to for a long time. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. He is the host of the Fresh 24 podcast. He was the voice of the 76ers as their play-by-play -play announcer for 27 years. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Mark Zumoff. Mark, thank you so much for coming on Let's Go to the Phones tonight. Appreciate the love, guys. I love the name of the podcast and... <laughs> I'm ready to get it on with you guys, so let's do it. We were, when we named the podcast, we were trying to find the most stereotypical sports talk, <laughs> cliched term, and it was between this and, what was the other one, Chris? We had, it was uh, um, Times, not Times, times yours. yours. No. Was it Time, no, it was um, That's First Andy Time, Reed. Long Time. First Time, Long first time, time, Long Time. Right, right. One. Yeah, Times and, Yours is, uh, it's vintage Andy Reid. Yeah, yeah, I know. Exactly. Well, maybe he would have come on the show if we had named it Timeshare. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but, Mark, you – so the, we, I mentioned that you, you're now the host of the Fresh 24 podcast. It's a great podcast. You've had – I think you released your 25th episode today, which was a great interview with George Lynch. George Lynch, yeah. Awesome interview. Um, I, I have to also say that I love the episode with Steve Mix. Just you guys you, – both you and Steve were – just the voice, the voices of my fandom growing up. So that was awesome to hear what Steve is getting around to these days and, and, and staying active and all that stuff. But I will say that never in my wildest dreams that I ever think I'd hear crossover between you and Big J Okerson, which who is an absolute favorite comedian of this podcast. That was an interesting interview that you guys did together. Big J was, um, I, I have to tell you, that my producer came to me and said, we can get Big J Okerson. And I said, that is awesome. I mean, I was overwhelmed <laughs> to think that he would actually want to come on to my podcast, but he, the dude is a scream. And the thing that I loved about not only the podcast that he did, but his act in general, is that it almost appears as though he doesn't come to the stage with a lot of material per se. He just literally sees what the situation is. He vibes off of the people in the audience, and that's what makes him so good. There are guys who come out. You you could tell jokes and have scripted stuff, and and listen, that's good. That's fine, and there's nothing wrong with that. But to me, it takes it to a different level when you can just see what's going on in the room, vibe accordingly, and end up being really funny. His crowd work is unbelievable, uh, and that was a great episode. I, I think if you haven't listened to it, please check it out. But was it, you know, was it always the plan to do a podcast after you retired? Um, was it something that you just sort of came up with, and you you realized you had a lot more time on your hands? Like, how did the how did the Fresh Twenty Four idea come about? I actually had ideas of going in a totally different direction, playing a musical instrument, and cooking classes, and 
you know, uh, language lessons and things like that. And, you know, I kind of kicked the tires a little bit and said, you know what, we got a little more miles to go here. I wasn't ready to do more Sixers basketball. I think that ran its course. It was a nice run. I wanted to leave that while, you know, I was still doing it at some level of proficiency. And so Josh Weinfeld, who's my business manager, came to me with the idea and I initially resisted. And then I finally said to him, all right, well, you got to produce it. You got to design the look of it. You have to come up with a guess, that sort of thing. And I do dive in with him and help with the bookings and some of the research and that sort of thing. But by and large, it's his production. And it's been a scream. And I'm, I'm happy that he agreed on and we seem to be achieving some level of success in the theme of the podcast, which is not only players and coaches and front office folks, but people of any ilk who just happen to be Sixers fans. So Big Jay Okerson, of course, is an example of that. We plan on having uh, Kevin DeGandhi on from ESPN. Oh, nice. He's an example of that. Uh, we had Josh Shapiro on, the governor of Pennsylvania. We're going to have oh. Michael Smirkanish on, the oh, CNN nice. commentator and serious radio star. So it gets me off on some different tangents, but eventually everybody talks about the Sixers, and I think that common theme really uh, – well, I'm hoping it'll be a success. Let's put it that way. Who, who is like the big get that you'd like to have on the show? Is there anyone that you're like, all right, I, I, I it's going to be a long shot, but let's just reach out and let's see if we can get them on the podcast. I'd love to go, you know, like, um, uh, like Lil Dicky, or <laughs> maybe some Kevin Hart. There you go. Or, um, you know, someone of that ilk who's just like an A-list somebody who would want to come on. I remember Kevin Hart going to a Sixers practice once. We were still at Philadelphia Osteopathic Medicine before they put up the facility in Camden. And that dude came in there, and this is like Spencer Hawes and Andre Godala and those guys. And, you know, listen, they weren't an overwhelmingly successful Sixer team, but in 12, <laughs> they went a couple of rounds of the playoffs, and they were professional basketball players. And Kevin Hart came in there with all this bravado, and he was like, all right, guys, I'm going to challenge you to a shooting contest. And lo and behold, he was holding his own. I mean, dude took a little while to warm up, but once he started hitting them and talking trash at the same time, it was like it, it was just a great coming together of, <laughs> uh, you know, some comedian from, from North Philly and, and the Sixers and talking trash and being funny, and uh, it, it was an awesome moment. So I'd love to have guys on like that. You mentioned like uh, before we started about you know you don't watch the Sixers as much maybe I guess I'm sure you still watch is that kind of where you're leaning with the podcast you 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 like having those guests on that aren't necessarily NBA players but NBA fans and you do you like doing that like those tangents of going off and kind of like talking to Kevin Hart about comedy little Dicky about whatever he's doing rapping the show is that better for you or is that kind of what you're going for with the podcast? Let's put it this way, Chris. I enjoy it because it's fresh for me. Right. So when I can dive deep into Pennsylvania politics or, you know, what it's like to be the governor of Pennsylvania, uh, in the case of Michael Smirconish, I'm really eager to talk politics with him because he has a unique viewpoint these days down the middle. Um, I'll admit that for me, because it's relatively new territory as it relates to talking about it on a podcast, let's say. Um, it's refreshing for me. 
Not that I don't love basketball. It's my favorite sport. Uh, I've been around as a Sixers fan since the first year of the team when they came from Syracuse in 63. And I'll talk Sixers with anybody, anytime, including Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey, if I could ever get them. But, um, <laughs> I, but Chris, to, to your question, I do enjoy, you know, not only talking Sixers with, you know, regular important people, but uh, also their specialty, whatever it happens to be. So your your play by play career it, it it kind of spanned a, a very interesting evolution of basketball. You know, you started in '94, and anyone that saw those early '90s, mid '90s games can remember a lot of games being like ending in set like 79 to 75. There'd be a lot of hard fouls during a game, big man oriented throw it into the post, work it out from there. And then as you got in the 2000s, you know, Allen Iverson comes on the scene. It starts to become more guard-oriented. You start to see, you know, the offensive numbers creep up a little bit. You know, that that days of just throw it into the post and see what happens sort of came to a close. And then when you left, when you, when you retired, it was very much what it is today, which is three ball oriented you got to have guys on the floor that can do everything all at once was there any iteration you know during your career that was more fun to call did you enjoy any particular stage of basketball was there anything more was it more enjoyable to watch for you i think for me and probably for the majority of sixers fans i'm associated with the iverson era and to me, just watching someone like him, uh, I feel privileged. I feel almost as privileged as being in Minneapolis when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. I mean, whoever thought we would see that, but that's, of mm. course, another thing. Um, Iverson, you know, here's a guy who's dropping over 30 a game. And, Rob, you alluded to it, the fact that, uh, you know, back then and even in, in his time, games were like in the 70s and 80s sometimes. The fact that he was putting up, you know, the numbers that he was putting up, um, you know, in an era where teams could be that much more physical with you. I mean, think of what he'd be doing today. I'm going to assume <laughs> that he would be a decent three-point shooter because Larry Brown either would have embraced it or a different coach would have had him shoot more and be more accurate. So let's assume he'd be like a 35 36% shooter. You know he would have jacked, you know, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 a game. And here's a guy who could who could put up 30 shots without a problem um, and, and get to the line mm-hmm. and get to the line in an era where they they could plaster you. And the and the flagrant fouls weren't called as frequently, I think, as they are now. So um, I'm trying to imagine Iverson playing today and thinking he'd be <laughs> dropping 35, 40 a game. And, and that's no joke. I, I'm really serious about that. He would have been taking like 30 free throws a game right. with the way yeah. it's called now. You know, so I people mean, got like, frustrated with Giannis. Harden. He got yeah, frustrated Giannis, with Harden. Yeah. It's like, how could you? He would have gotten twice the foul calls Harden would have gotten because he's smaller, and it would have deserved. been like people get so pissed off at Harden. Uh, Kaga was talking about the your eras. I want to talk about the process era at least a little bit. Oh. How <laughs> I want to say like a February game versus the Wizards. How would you go into that game with the enthusiasm that you had? Is that just your professionalism? I don't know how you can get up for something like that and do a good job. Were there ever times where you were on the road in the dead of winter, Sixers are 4-30 and 30 or whatever, and you're just like, I don't want to do this. 
Was there ever a time like that? Or like, how did you rally yourself to get up for those games? Well, I think first and foremost, I'm a fan. And because I'm a fan and I've been blessed with a once in a lifetime opportunity, which is to be the voice of an NBA team, whether or not it's my hometown team, it turns out that it was, is not something I don't think to be taken lightly. And so I understood what the circumstances were, that it was up to me to be professional. It was up to me to somehow dress up a pig of a game and make it <laughs> look good and sound as good as I could. And so what I took it was as a challenge to my broadcasting acumen that I, to me, it's easy to call the game winning shot. And I always find it ironic, the fact that people will stop me in the street and, you know, imitate my call of like TJ McConnell's game winner against the Knicks or something like that. But to me, the mark of a really good broadcaster is to take Drek, as we say, and and make it look a, a better than it really is. So I undertook the challenge with a measure of seriousness and knowing that it was my job to do so and not ask questions. And so I did it. So Chris, to directly answer your question, yeah, I guess it was a certain level of professionalism. I felt like I had to do it. But also I understood the importance of it. And look, everybody knew what the big picture was. So do it, be professional, get through it. And hope that the next year they're going to start adding players and getting serious. And, you know, through the process, at least the early process years, that took a little while. Did you um, did you have any specific cities or arenas that you were like, oh, God, we got to go to Minnesota or or even arenas that you liked? Were there any arenas that stood out good or bad that you would that you would enjoy going to or look forward to? It's kind of weird, but Utah's arena, I always liked it because it was constructed in such a way that the vast majority of seats, Patrick, were A, on the lower level, and B, you know, instead, if you could see my hands, instead of, like, going out like this, where by the time you're on the 20th row, you were, you know, you couldn't really see that well. I mean, it was tight. Yeah, they go up. It was, it, it's yeah. almost like, I don't want to say straight up and down, but, you know, you, you kind of get the same feeling when you look at uh, where the Seattle Seahawks play. You know, it kind of looks like they're they're almost playing like in a canyon. Yeah. The fans are like almost like right on top of you. Those fans were rabid because they had really nothing else going on professionally. And they were into it from tip off to buzzer. They were in their seats. They weren't latecomers or anything like that. And so, believe it or not, I kind of enjoyed those games. And, of course, the Sixers rarely, if ever, won there. Um, there were some weird ones like uh, San Antonio. And I'm, I'm trying to remember what it was. The um, – the Alamo Dome, sure. where it was literally an outdoor stadium that they would uh, portion off with uh, curtains, and they would have like thirty-five thousand people there. I mean, it was that was really uh, let's put it this way: it was very interesting. Uh, and I always liked Madison Square Garden because of the history, because of the fans. Uh, again, very knowledgeable, and you would always have what I would call the network seats where uh, the network guys, when you go to a game, you'll notice they sit opposite the benches. They literally take some season ticket holders and they boot them out. They, they sit you center court opposite the benches so there's no coach or anybody to get in the way. And, you know, I'm sitting three chairs from one of my boys, Mike Breen, and having a really good time. So I would say, uh, in direct answer to your question, it would be those three.
Nice. Now you're you're a temple guy, and we're huge fans of the late coach John Chaney. Did you ever have any good run-ins with him? You guys always Sixers always seem to have some temple guys, especially like in the early 2000s, that would float around for like the summer league, or you know they'd they'd be on the preseason roster. I remember you know Kevin Lyde would I think Kevin Lyde was around for a little bit. Ron maybe Ron Rollerson for a, a summer league or two. Mm. Do you ever have any good any good uh, run-ins with Coach Cheney? Well, that's not a guy that I would have to I would want to have a run in with per se. <laughs> a positive but, run in. Uh, but oh no, interactions absolutely. Interaction, yes. And um one in particular, this is very early in my career. I think this is when he first got the temple job or he may have still been at Cheney State and I was interacting with Sonny Hill. I met them somewhere, I forget where it was. I was doing a feature I think on the Baker League. And they were busy doing some sort of a uh, clinic, I guess. And I remember uh, I, I went to Sonny because he was going to give me some footage of like Wilt playing in the Baker League or something like that. And Coach Cheney was there. Of course, they were very tight. And I remember walking to uh, to Coach Cheney's car because mm -hmm. the, the footage was in the car. And I remember the coach saying, you want some crabs? And I said, what do you mean? He said, man, I love crabs. Would you like some crabs? And I said, uh, well, you know what, Coach, I appreciate it, but thanks anyway. And he said, okay. And all of a sudden, he opened up the trunk of the car, and there it was, was crabs, like, crawling all <laughs> over the trunk of the car. And he's like, you sure you don't want any of these crabs, man? They are great. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I remember that, and I just remember a man who was a saver of souls that, um, you know, when they had Prop 48, and it was hard for – certain players to be able to play early in their college career because they would be on academic probation and he would go and he would get these guys and he would rescue them and not just rescue them and give them a college career i mean he was turning out nba players left and right and to me if, it, if it's like a like a situation like jay wright where he is such a good coach that he has not only made them into very good college players they're able to graduate and play the game at the pro level so Mad respect, a lot of religion on Coach Cheney, and he is missed all the time in North Broad Street, where, by the way, I'm I'm now a teacher. Oh, very cool. Uh, yeah, he was that. he was uh, unbelievable. I, I love watching those teams play, and he was he was quite the character. Um, you know, I guess talking segueing. This is our professional segue into another character, uh, a guest that you had on one of the early episodes of your podcast. Um, Pat Croce, uh, can you talk a little bit about the energy of the 76ers when he was there? I mean, energy and Pat Croce are pretty much one in the same. But it, it seemed like when he took when he took over the team, it, he really it was almost like a makeover of the entire franchise. You know, I remember reading some Inquirer article about him arguing that, you know, our uniform should be black. And whoever was designing the uniform was like, well, black's not a color. You can't have black as a uniform on your uniform. He's like, no, I want black. And like those are – and you look today, like those are uniforms that people love the most out of probably the last like 30 years of the 76ers. Can you talk a little bit just about the energy in the building when he took over? I mean, I can only imagine him walking the halls, you know, pregame, postgame. What was that like? So a little perspective, the Sixers, obviously, they won their last title in 83, and the owner then was Harold Katz, and, and nobody wanted to win more than him. 
and I enjoyed a very fruitful relationship with him when I first started my career in the mid-90s. But then it was time for him to sell the team. And when he did, um, you know, the, the team had fallen on hard times. And so when he did sell the team, quite frankly, the cupboard was bare. Interest in the team was at a low ebb. And they weren't going to go anywhere anytime soon. And so bringing in someone like Pat, it was like a revival meeting. It mm -hmm. was just, it, you know, you could feel the energy and, and it really wasn't fake. It was something that was infectious, that was real, something that he felt. And he was really the perfect owner for the perfect time. And I think that the fact that he went to the trouble, not only to change the uniforms, but the logo. I mean, the mm -hmm. logo had mm -hmm. been, generally speaking, the logo since the team moved from Syracuse, you know, in 63, except for a couple of exceptions. And, um, you know, eventually, of course, it was changed back. But that logo will now stand now and forever as a specific era in Sixers basketball. That's when you see that logo, you think two people, you think Allen Iverson and you think Pat Croce. Pat now, you know, people ask me all the time, what's he doing? And you probably remember from the podcast, uh, now he does a lot of uh, meditation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he does something on Sundays called sanghas where he talks about, um, you know, uh, mindfulness and and things like that. Pat Croce, just unto himself, is is a remarkable story. He's a kid who grew up in, uh, you know, Delco and really made himself into a lot of different things, a, a good golfer, a team owner a businessman, uh, you, you name it. I think he's done it in his life. Absolutely. He's got a great, he's got a great Twitter. All his, all his tweets are very, uh, spiritual and like stream of consciousness. Like you're saying, Mark, he, he definitely is like a, he's almost like a spiritual guru. He's, well, that's exactly great. right. And what he, what he, what he does, Patrick, is he, <clears throat> he gets up in the morning and he's, on like 40 acres in Bucks County and he built like a bunch of different paths. And when I say he built, he built not necessarily Joe, the contractor and he walks through the property and really just gets into what is, whether it's a bird or the wind or mm -hmm. the sky or the soil or a flower or what have you. And um, this is what's so fascinating about him because you can only imagine during the Iverson era Here's a guy who's going a million miles an hour and drinking in life and not necessarily stopping to, quote, you know, smell the flowers. And, and now he's doing it, writing about it and tweeting about it all the time. Absolutely. What was uh, that like when he sold to because what he sold to Ed Snyder, right? So I think what happened was um, his portion of the team went. It to Comcast. Comcast, right. Because I remember, it, right. so this is a, a drop. I was an intern for the Sixers in 2012. And I must say, before I even get into it, you were so nice. You always walk by the intern bullpen. You'd say hi to all of us. Mark is the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> uh, but the the attitude in that, it was 2012, that year, when the Flyers still, or Ed Snyder, Comcast still owned the Sixers, was that Sixers, Sixers were second fiddle to the Flyers. Did you get that vibe after Croce sold? Is that we were, or the, the Sixers were, you know, obviously the offices were in the basement. Flyers had that, you know, that tower. With a, it was super nice. Did you get that vibe uh, then? Because it was the Adam Aaron years, I believe. Um, yeah. 
Right. So I think Adam Aaron actually came in with the new ownership, yeah, right. if I'm not mistaken. Maybe. Yeah. But um, I, I think what you had was any any company that has multiple properties, you try to, and it's really just good business. If you have, uh, you know, I guess uh, an accounting department, let's say it's the accounting department for both teams. Um, I will say certainly that the Flyers did probably have their choice of dates. And, you know, the Sixers were, um, you know, they weren't as good a product then as they are now. And so I think back then it was like, all right, well, you know, we're happy to have the Sixers, but the Flyers are Mr. Snyder's baby, Mr. Snyder, as we used to call him. And um, they're going to get a certain level of priority. Yes. That's not to say that Ed Snyder didn't love the Sixers. I mean, he did. He loved all sports. And I think he, you know, he he loved being at games. And when they started to get good under Pat, um, it was a place that he really wanted to be. But, um, you know, that's kind of the way I view that. Um from that perspective, but you know what? That seems like such a long time ago. It seems like the current ownership is, has been around for yeah. a lot yeah. longer than they, they actually have. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, just talking about, you know, Ed Schneider or Mr. Schneider, as we call him on the podcast, Yes. Pat Croce, um, you know, just, just people in at the Wells Fargo center while you were there, that just must've been walking around the halls and, and, you know, you, you've, been around a lot of you know great and influential people during your time with the Sixers did you ever hear anything or witness anything that you thought to yourself like man if this ever got out to the public it would make some insane headlines like were you ever privy to anything like that Mark I love the question I love where you're going <laughs> I know what you want from me the headline Grant. Um, you know what I, I gotta I gotta be honest with you um, and, and I ask questions too, and I'm always hoping for stories or something that'll help my podcast go viral. I mean, you know, I, I have to tell you that I do feel a, a level of loyalty to yes. the people that I work for and with. Oh, come on. And so I am going to politely say that those stories will live and die with me. But, um, listen, I, I will just say this, that with a... Um, a player and a persona as colorful as Allen Iverson, you can only imagine ellipsis dot, dot, dot. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, I'll, I'll let, here, here's, here's a little less, here's a little less controversial question. Um, okay. But, all right, so everyone, and you mentioned it earlier that people will come up and, and they'll say, you know, they'll talk about your calls or your particular trademarks. You know, everyone knows coming in for a landing, you know, you had some classic trademarks that you used throughout the years. But was there ever one that you thought was going to catch on that people didn't really get behind? Because I remember in the late 90s, you really tried to get, you really tried to have getting jiggy with it. You really tried to push that. And I love that one. I love that. But I think once that song kind of le left the public eye, it, it was not long for your broadcast. But was there ever one that you're like, this is going to be good, and then people just didn't get behind? That's a really good question. And as I sit here and think about it, I could certainly think of uh, a, a few things that sort of uh, lived and died. One that I really liked, but it only lasted as long as the two players were together, was the Flight Brothers with okay, yeah. Alan Iverson and Larry Hughes. Mm -hmm, and for mm -hmm. about a season and a half, they had this alley-oop thing going. And 
Uh, you know, when there was that dunk, I would turn to Steve Mix and say, the Flight Brothers are flying again. <laughs> and um, that that one I enjoyed. I, I think for a while, and I, a lot of people, I think, turned thumbs down to it. I was referring to Tony Kukoc as Tony Cool. But that didn't. I, I, I like that one. I don't. I don't think. I don't think that flew. Listen, the creative process is inexact, and quite frankly, it's not unlike the R and D at a pharmaceutical company. You know that there are a lot of things that they tried, experiments or chemical compounds or whatever that hey, you know what this isn't working or this isn't giving us the result that we want. That sort of thing. So for every every garbage in the gold or hang on Oliver coming in for a landing. Well, there's probably like, you know, one or two others that um, sort of bit the dust and had a very limited shelf life. Get I, like Tony cool. I like Tony Cool. I like Tony Cool. Cool's nice. Tony Cool's you're also, good. You're on a podcast right now that ha- has had segments that have lasted not even an entire episode because they're so bad. So we definitely <laughs> understand that. Um, <laughs> the other the other one I kind of, to piggyback off, off Bob, was any calls in general that you'd either like to have back or any calls that we can go both ways with it. Any calls that you've looked back on, you're like, I could have done better or any calls you're like, I killed that. Um, yeah. So it's a great question. And the answer is yes. And yes, there was a call and, and people to this day love it. And I sort of cringe. I remember being sick, and I think it was like the day after Thanksgiving, and you'll know the play when I say it because you guys are big Sixer heads. They were playing the, I think they were playing the Orlando Magic, and uh, the Magic was trying to get the ball in, or maybe it was the Washington Wizards. I don't remember. It was one of the two. It was either Washington or Orlando. The game was at Wells Fargo Center, and uh, in the very last second, I, I think it was either tied or the Sixers were down by a point. And Iverson steals the ball yep, with okay. like two and a half mm-hmm. seconds ago, literally races 45 feet, lays it in, and I'm yelling, they won the game, or he won the game, he won the game. Mm-hmm. Well, two things happened there that you know I wish I could have back. One, I was sick and my voice cracked. And if you go back and listen to it on YouTube, you can hear my voice crack. That's number mm-hmm. one. And number two, <laughs> he didn't win the game because I believe there are still like two tenths or three tenths of a second to go. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it's, it's unlikely the other team could come back and win the game, but officially he didn't win the game. So, you know, and in fact, the Jimmy Butler call at Charlotte where he hit the game winner. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think I one. said something. I, Jimmy Butler, you are a sixer or you, you are a 76er. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it was like Butler for the win. Yes, Jimmy Butler, blah, 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 blah. And it was still three tenths of a second to go. And, you know, who knows? <laughs> Charlotte could have come back and done something. So. Um, uh, in terms of game winners, I mean, there's a fair amount of them that I, I thought, were, you know, were pretty good. I remember Andre Iguodala and in a game where they were down two points going for the win on the road and hitting a three for the win at the buzzer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, um, and I, I think I enjoyed the TJ McConnell game winner against the Knicks. I, I feel pretty good about that one, but listen, uh, this is an inexact thing, as I had mentioned. And when you're a performer and you're a live performer, that's what I loved about it, really, is that, you know, you're walking a tightrope. There's no net. And sometimes you get the call right. And sometimes it's, uh, it could have been better. Yeah, you're being a little hard on yourself. Yeah. Three times uh, You know second. what? Come always. On. Always. Yeah. No, I, I always. And you know what? That Sometimes that was to my detriment. But, you know, in a way that sort of, I think, helped me to, um, you know, 
try try to be the best that I could be was as hard as I was on myself. But I yeah, you're right. I was I was hard on myself. Um, we talked a little bit about it before we started, but you are a huge MLS fan, and I wanted to ask what. Was it one of the worst weekends of your life when this? Because I think it was that it was the same weekend where the Union lost in the championship, and then was that also yeah, the Super Bowl day. weekend? It was the same. No, it was the it was same the day. Show. Union lost in the championship, and the yes. Phillies lost Game Six to the Astros. Oh, okay, that right. was it. All right, right. Same day. Well, right. Can you talk like what what intrigue what intrigued you so much about soccer? I, I know you've done some play by play for the union too. Like what intrigues you about soccer, and then what are the similarities between announcing basketball and soccer, if any? So I think the thing that's great about soccer is that I know so little about it, so I'm enjoying every day. Um, you know, when I have the opportunity to watch a game. When I when I filled in, like you said, did some union games, had a chance to talk to the coaches and, you know, ask all the elementary stupid questions there were to ask. But, you know, soccer is actually quite different than basketball. Basketball to me is like a is like a long distance race. Mm. And two teams start out, one team's leading, the other team can come back, blah, 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 blah. And then there's halftime and then you got to you know, get through the next 24 minutes and then you're coming down the stretch and the teams are neck and neck. And then the long race is over. Excuse me. I dropped one of my earpieces here. <laughs> whereas soccer, whereas soccer, um, a nothing, nothing game can be great mm-hmm. or a, or a one, nothing game can be decided in the first five minutes. And to me, um, and to me, soccer, it's always tense. The minute the ball is kicked off, it's like, if you let up a goal, you're going to have to play totally differently. If you get a goal, you're going to have to start playing differently and, you know, try to see the game out. So, um, you know, I, I think I like the fact that the games are so very different as opposed to any similarities. Um, Danny Higginbotham, who was the union color commentator for so many years and does a lot of work for the Premier League and uh, does MLS games on Apple, thinks that there uh, is actually a lot of American football in soccer because to the trained eye when you look at a soccer game you'll see certain players doing certain things to make runs it could be equivalent to uh, wide receivers who let's say will will take the their defender or defenders long to clear an area for another player and they they do something similar in soccer as well very cool um i don't we don't want to keep you too much longer uh i know we had uh, sort of a little uh, getting to the end of our time here but Pat, Chris, do you guys have any other questions for Mark? I mean, I, I have one, but I don't want you know. I, I feel like I've been asking a lot of questions. So, if you guys have anything specific, uh, Pat Bev, I want to bring up Pat Bev uh, in general. One, is he going to come on your podcast, or are you going to go on his? And two, do you think he is like the perfect fit for Philadelphia? I think pe- people thought maybe PJ Tucker would be the per- perfect fit. Don't think he quite was. Pat Bev seems to be leaning into the Philadelphia. Do you think he is one of the best fits ever? Uh, and anyone you've seen in the past that you think was an equal fit to the city of Philadelphia? Interesting. I think we like guys who stir up the shit a little bit. And I think that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what he does. And he may have just cemented, at least for this season, uh, the love affair between him and Sixers fans when he cracked open that yeah. beer. 
when he was getting ready to do the media. Um, You know, we we like attitude. Um, And I think Iverson, with deference to Pat Bev, we know what he is in terms of a player. You know, Alan, and I was telling this story uh, at a corporate thing earlier today, um, I, I think for Alan, playing was like a release for him. It was a moment where he could forget the fact that he grew up impoverished and, you know, didn't have any solid uh, male role models and had issues with the law and all the rest. When he was able to get out there and play, it was this sort of sense of relief that he could just go out and do what he did best. And the game had its own rhythm and he can get lost in that. Um, people who compete, people who were, will tear your eyes out for an advantage, uh, people who will not give up despite the circumstances. We love that more than anything. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of some, I, you know, in some respects, um, trying to think of uh, who else was like that um not only uh among the sixers but uh bryce harper yeah brian Dawkins. you know i I think i think yeah Mm -hmm. i think we we feel that with bryce he loves us we love him he'll do anything to win that kind of thing so um you know we're about players who reflect us and we we feel that they're about us and i think uh pat bev has a lot of those qualities awesome uh well pat do you have anything or um, only question I have is what was one of the, what was some of the weirder things that you've seen a fan do when you've been announcing? <laughs> <laughs> or like oh, anything boy. that stands out when, when you, when you get asked that, like what's, what's the strange thing you've seen a fan do? And I'm sure you've seen a lot. Uh, you know, the only thing that comes to mind and I'm sure at like, you know, three o'clock in the morning when I wake up to pee. I'm going to be thinking of you, Pat, because I'm going to remember the, the really good answer to the question that you just asked, but I can't remember it now. Um, I, I do remember, I, I want to say this, this could have been the playoffs, my final year against the Wizards, when um, I, I want to say Russell Westbrook got ejected and some fan threw popcorn on him. Yeah. 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 Popcorn and, and the game, fan, I think. Yep. Right. Okay. And I think the fan eventually got ejected. Um, there was that heavy set gentleman who Big would Daddy. sit, uh, yeah. And you know, it, w- once he took the sh- once yeah. he took the shirt off, like whether it was the moon or the sun was out, would be you know totally blocked by his presence. The fact that he would do that, you know, you see guys do that, like you know, in September in an NFL stadium, you don't really see that too much, you know, in the warm confines of an NBA arena. But but he did a lot of that. Um, you know, I, I'm, you know, in deference to the people who are listening, I don't want to keep them too long. Um, nothing else is coming to mind right now, but, would, uh, like I say, there, if I think of something at three in the morning, I'll let you know. Would there be a lot of like, would fans try and talk to you like during game? Would there be interactions between like you and a fan? Cause every so often you will see a coach like look back and say something to a fan. I remember Mo Cheeks would do that a lot. Um, Doc Rivers would do that a lot. But, you know, do fans ever try and, like, talk with you, like, during a break or yell at you or, you know, what's going on there? 
Yeah, no, uh, that that certainly happened. Uh, Got to remember, too, we were like 20 rows back about the last, uh, I want to say, 12, oh, yeah. 13, 14 years of my career. Yeah, that's right. that's but right. in the beginning, we were courtside, mm-hmm. and fans mm-hmm. would walk behind us all the time. And literally in the middle of games, people would tap me on the shoulder, and I would look up <laughs> during the action, and they would be waving at me, like as if, you know, I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm just watching the game, and, oh, yeah, hi, buddy, yeah. how are you, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there'd, be, there'd be some of that. And... Um, you know, the occasional fan who, like, during an, an open stand-up would be, you know, behind yeah. the camera doing some of this stuff, that kind of thing. But uh, nothing that stands out, again, um, kind of like Pat's question where I'm trying to think, was there a time where, you know, I went mad on a fan or something <laughs> like that? I, I th- that, um, that that never happened. No footage of you dumping popcorn on a fan's head? No footage of me okay. dumping popcorn on a fan. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Although... Um, there were some things, let's put it this way, in my broadcast career that uh, weren't some of my prouder moments way back in the day before I became the Sixers announcer. <laughs> well, hey, Mark, this was awesome. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. We've always wanted to have you on. Um, thanks for hopping on with us. It was a lot of fun. And uh, everyone go listen to Mark's podcast, uh, yep. the Fresh 24 podcast. Who's your next guest, Mark, on the next episode? Uh, that is a good question. Uh, could be Kevin Nagandi. Uh, oh, we had to reschedule oh, yeah. him, but uh, I want to say we're going to record him shortly, and he could be the next guy. And um, he he's got a fascinating story. He grew up in Phoenixville. He is the first uh, national sports announcer of Indian American heritage to to be on uh, a network. And uh, where's his? Sixer fandom, Eagles, Phillies, Flyers, what have you, proudly on national broadcast. Yes, he does. Which yeah. I think is interesting. And here's a guy who, where ESPN attracts all this attention because of, you know, the Stephen A. Smiths or mm. in recent years, Jamel Hill or people who, you know, created their share of controversy or wanted to be controversial or, or speak out of turn or give their opinion on certain things that were not necessarily sports. Uh, Kevin Nagandi has just been um, a, a great pro and has avoided that. So I'm I'm interested to talk with him about how it is that he is able to be great without necessarily being viral. Awesome. Temple I, alum too, right? Yeah, yeah for right. sure. Yeah, you right. betcha, yeah. baby. Very I mean, nice. Pat, yeah, and I, Richie, Pat, Pat and I are Drexel alums, so I don't know. It's whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no, listen, it's, it's, I, I love Drexel. I love their co-op program. Five years and right. working part-time for people. I, yeah, I, I love that. That was that. my I internship awesome. at the Sixers. That was, that was my co-op. Oh, is that right? Yeah. That's an awesome co-op. That's it was a fun. great co-op. It was a fun six and months. By the way, um, by the way um, uh, Tom Klein, the Tom yeah. Klein uh, Law uh-huh. School at Drexel, is a friend of mine, a guy who is extremely generous and just a brilliant man, uh, uh, Klein Specter of the law firm, and yeah. he uh, he he's the guy who uh, was the I believe he was a Drexel grad, and yeah. and the law school is named after him. No, he wasn't a Drexel grad. He just donated. I think he was another school, and that was. Oh, is that time. right? He okay. donated a ton of money to Drexel for whatever reason. Uh, I don't wow. think he was actually a Drexel grad. That was really? a big deal. Yeah, that was a really big wow. deal. Huh? He liked uh, he liked the school for whatever reason. Who doesn't? Who yeah. doesn't? I'm on. Good point. Absolutely. You can follow Mark yeah. on Twitter at Mark Zumov. You can follow. Uh, you can find the Fresh Fresh Twenty Four with Mark Zumov on Twitter at Fresh Twenty Four Zumov. You can find that podcast on Apple wherever you can download podcasts. Mark, it was an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much, sir. 
Thanks, Mark. My pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Mark. Bye. All right. You got it. Thanks, Mark.